Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Dan Bohai is um, he had another occupation earlier. He was a builder and very successful businessman. God called him into ministry uh, later than life than, than many of us. Uh, but boy, did he make up for time. He's traveling all over America in huge demand, has seen tens of thousands miraculously healed, has seen people come to a knowledge of Christ, seen them set free in deliverance. I've witnessed it myself. And one of the things that I tell about Dan Bohai that I so appreciate is when I saw him pray over many, many people who got well, got healed in our own church, then you could see on numbers of people disappointment that they were not touched and healed. He gathered them all in. I've never seen anybody do this. He gathered them all, said, everyone who was not healed, not touched, would you come up here and let me pray for you? They gathered. And it was the most tender, compassionate shepherd's prayer over some wounded sheep. And he just prayed such spiritual health into them. It was just a, it was a, it was as impressive as the healing that had taken place before. Uh, then, then he has words from the Lord from time to time, and we just love having him come on and talk to us. So uh, sit back, get ready to take notes, get ready to absorb from the Spirit of God right now. Dan Bohai, I love you. You're my brother. Thank you for being with us. Tell us what the Lord is saying. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Garlow, for letting me have the chance to preach tonight on the World Prayer Network. I'm so excited. I'm excited to share the word. I'm kind of embarrassed to share where the word came from. This word was birthed in my spirit through a failure. Um, just recently, I participated in the Isaiah 62 fast for Israel, where millions of people around the world were fasting and praying for the salvation of Israel and for the hundred million intercessors that prayed on Pentecost Sunday to conclude the fast that God would move on their hearts and give them his heart for Israel so that, you know, we could see the salvation of Israel. Because as Paul says in Romans eleven fifteen, that their salvation will be like the whole world coming alive from the dead. And so I want that to happen. I really want to see that. And so I went into this fast thinking, man, I am going to get some great things out of this fast. And I remembered back when the Lord first let me start preaching after my encounter with him when I was brought back from the dead. And I went on a 40-day water fast. And I remember how energetic I felt and how I felt kind of euphoric from like day five to day 35. Like I never felt better in my whole life. And I just remember 21 days is nothing. I'm on a water fast. Like this is easy. And so I wrote out the things that I was going to get from God because I was going to fast, okay? And so the first thing I wrote out was, I want God to give me his heart for Israel because I want to know his plans and purposes for Israel. Because I believe the whole world's redemption hangs on the fact that he wants all Israel saved. And and so I want God's heart for that. I, I want to know it. And I wasn't raised in a church where Israel was an emphasis at all. It was just like, I was raised under replacement theology, if you will, and that's, I think, one of the greatest doctrines of demons there is on the planet. And so 
Um, so I want God's heart for Israel. That's the first thing I listed. The second thing I wrote on my list of things that God was going to give me because I was fasting was I, I was going to know the power of God. And I didn't list that I wanted the power of God because I actually believe every Christian has the power of the resurrection in them. I don't think we need to get the power of God, but we need to know the things that block us from using the power of God to bring salvation and healing to people. So I said, I want to know the power of God. And then number three on my list of things was I wanted um, God to give me the revelation where I could speak a creative miracle into my left hip that got damaged when I got hit by a semi-truck and I need bone and cartilage to regrow. And I want the revelation where I can command the bone to grow. And so those were the three main things. Then I wrote some other things and I went into the fast, man, gung-ho and I noticed that about day two that I wasn't feeling good and I, I I was like, couldn't sleep. And all of a sudden, nights two, three, and four of the water fast, the Lord kept waking me up in the middle of the night saying, I want you to sow a significant gift into Israel. And I thought, what is that? And he made it real clear. He wanted me to do it. He goes, you want to know my heart for Israel, where your treasure is, your heart is. And, and he just started doing stuff I didn't expect him to do. Well, anyway, on day five, I woke up after not sleeping all night, and I said, God, what is wrong with me? And I kind of felt the Lord chuckle. Now, I can't say it, but I felt like he was kind of chuckling. He wasn't mad at me. And I think he just, I heard him say, just eat. My grace isn't on you to do a water fast. I didn't even tell you to do that. It was your idea. And so this message I'm going to share with the World Prayer Network is a message that God gave me from a failure that I thought I could go 21 days on water, no big deal, because 15 years earlier, I went 40 days. And so I, I want to start, I actually want to talk about the power of rest tonight, or the weapon of rest, but I want to start in Ephesians 2.8. It's a verse we all know, we memorized it way back in Bible school when we were in preschool, but it just starts by saying, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I feel like I know Colossians 2.7 says, just as you began in him, so walk in him. And when I came to Jesus, I had nothing to offer to the equation except I didn't want to go to hell. And so all I had was faith that he, by the way, had given me. But his part was grace. And I want to tell you that if we will just have faith in the grace of God, we can experience salvation. And salvation is unending. I think there's unlimited potential in salvation. I think it's healing, it's deliverance, it's prosperity, it's peace, it's wisdom, it's authority, it's intimacy, it's eternal, it's protection. I think salvation is the most beautiful thing, but grace can't save you alone because Titus says God's extended grace to the whole planet and most people are perishing. They're not coming to repentance and faith can't save you alone. Because you can do works, you can do discipline, you can memorize, you can witness. But if you don't have faith in God's grace, it profits you nothing. But if I'll just simply accept what God has given me freely, I can experience salvation that goes on for eternity. And so grace is God's part. 
Faith is our part. And so faith doesn't make God do anything. Faith reaches out to receive what God has already provided. Our faith should be in response to God instead of thinking our faith makes God respond to us. I, I know there are phrases where Jesus said over and over in the Gospels, let it be done unto you according to your faith. But it was what he already wanted to do. If somebody just lined up and believed he what could do what he couldn't wait to do anyway. There is nobody who can make God do anything that he doesn't already want to do. So our faith is something that reaches out in response to what God does. Now, religion teaches us that we need to do something to get God to do something. I think that's so dangerous to take us back to the law. And I am so prone to want to do something. You guys understand, I want to have a thousand employees. I want to have a million miracles. I, I want to reach the nations. I always want to do something, but I can't do one thing to make God do something for me. What I need to do is rest in the fact that he has given me everything I ever need for life and godliness already. And so one of the hardest things for me to do is to rest. And I want to preach a message now on rest that comes from Hebrews. Obviously, I love Hebrews 4, where it talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So I want us to go to Hebrews 4, and I just want to go through some scriptures here on the weapon and the power of rest. Now, we know Hebrews 4 comes after Hebrews 3. I'm not trying to be funny, but Hebrews 3 has a narrative of the children of Israel that Moses had brought out of Egypt, but they didn't rest enough to believe God could take them into the promised land. And I think that's sad, but I think that's a, a true picture of a lot of American Christianity, the culture that I was raised in, that most of the church has been forgiven of sins one time or another, but most of the church is not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in the promised land of God. Most of the church is not walking in the supernatural. Most of the church is not walking in healing. Most of the church is not walking in divine health. Most of the church is not walking in prosperity. Most of the church, if they were arrested, they would have not enough evidence to indict them on being different than the world. And that's not why Jesus shed his blood. Jesus did not shed his blood so he could just be delivered from sin and taken out of Egypt. He shed his blood so we could believe and rest in his word enough to be delivered all the way into the promises and purposes of God so we could reflect the image and life of Christ in this world. And so I want to start with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, and it just says, Therefore, we must fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now, a verse like that always catches my attention because there's 366 verses in the Bible that say, fear not. But this verse says we need to fear that we don't miss this rest. So it's probably important if God's telling us to fear. In other words, make sure you don't miss the rest that's being offered to you, okay? Then I go to verse 2. For indeed, we have had a good news preached to us, just as they also did, but the word they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united with those who listen with faith. Now, that's an important verse. 
what is what I think Paul wrote Hebrews. I remember when I went through my Bible classes with Dr. Craig Ranch that we both came up with three or four reasons why we think Paul wrote Hebrews. So I'm always going to say Paul, the author. But I, I think Paul is alluding to the fact that the message we hear right now is a good news, just like the message Moses was preaching to them in the wilderness. But the reason why it didn't benefit them is because they didn't receive it with faith. Now, I want you to look at me. I, I hope you guys can see this Bible I'm holding up. I believe that this whole Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Timothy 3. But unless we receive it by faith, it's not the Word of God. This book has been used to create cults. This book has been used to create false religions. In fact, in this chapter right here, in verse 12, it says, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And if you don't come to this with faith, I have people tell me all the time, well, I try to read it, I just don't understand it. They're not trying to come with faith, because I promise you, the simplest child can understand it if you come and ask God, give me faith to understand your Word, because when we receive His Word with faith, it comes alive. And it actually can do that which it's sent to do in all of our lives. And so the children of Israel did not receive what Moses was saying with faith. Therefore, they could not rest. And one of the phrases I want you to come away with in this sermon when I'm done at the end is that I believe that resting faith is faith that believes. I really believe that resting faith is faith that believes. I'm reminded of the verse right now. It's just appearing to my heart, Mark 9, 23, when Jesus said to that man with the epileptic boy, he said, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And Jesus told Mary and Martha and those listening at the tomb of Lazarus in John eleven forty, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And I truly believe faith that can rest is faith that believes. So let me go on. In verse 3, it says, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my anger, they shall certainly not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now that's interesting. He, what he's saying here is this rest that God is offering us believers right now in 2023, this rest is the same kind of rest that God had when he finished creation. He's comparing the two. Now we know when an artist does a painting, I've been to some, I've been to some pretty art galleries where you see these beautiful paintings. I've heard him talk about it. In fact, I used to watch a show on TV. Some of you that are my age would remember that guy that would paint those pictures on TV on PBS, and he would say, let's put a little tree right here. Remember that guy? I don't know. I can't remember his name, but you guys you guys know who he is. You're shaking your heads, yes. And how about a little, you know, a little, a little dog here, a little puffy cloud? And, and when he was finished, he would rest, right? He would put his brush down because when the masterpiece is done, if you put one more stroke on it, you, fin you ruin it. So God, when he finished creation, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. It was done. There was nothing left to do. Think about it. 
When a lawyer, come on, when a lawyer presents his closing argument and he goes, I rest my case, right? The defense rests. He's not resting because he's tired. He's resting because he's done. Come on. And God is offering us a chance to rest, not because the world's overwhelming and, and, and the end's looking bad. No, he's offering us a chance to rest because his work is done. If we just believe it, come on, man, any storm you can rest in, you have authority over. They woke Jesus up when he was in the stern. They were all bailing water, but he was at rest because he knew he was going to the other side. And he promised all of us watching this sermon tonight that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He'll be with us to the end. He's going to finish everything he started, and he can't lie. And so maybe we ought to practice rest, right? And so, and so I want to think about how God created everything in such a way that he could rest. Now, I'm going to propose to you that he's still resting because he hadn't had to create anything for 6,000 years now. And I want to propose why he's able to rest for 6,000 years, because I think I can't prove this, but I have an opinion. I think when I go to John chapter 1, verse 1, when it says, in the beginning was the word, that word there is that word logos, which refers to the thoughts of God. And I think God had eternity to think about creation. I think he may have thought about it for millions of years. So when he actually started it, it only took six days, but it was perfect. I think he thought about every scenario. I think he thought about what sin would do and how pain would come into the human race and thorns and thistles would come into gardens and rocks would be in the dirt and people would have to have sweat of their brow and menstrual cramps and birth pains and there would be jealousy and murder inside family circles and then there would be pestilences, famines, tsunamis, earthquakes, cyclones, there would be cancers, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars, corrupt governments, sex trafficking, slavery, injustices, marginalization, transgenderism, atheism, homosexuality. He thought about every pollution. You know, he thought about everything. And he goes, I've got it all covered because I'm going to make the perfect creation. And when he got done, he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. It says in Isaiah 40, God never gets tired. In fact, when it says in Isaiah a little bit later, give him no rest, he's not the one that's sleepy. He's just trying to keep us up. He's not tired. God's not growing old. He's resting because he's done everything we'll ever need. You guys get it? Come on. Somebody ought to say amen. Well, you can't. Everybody's muted. Okay, I'm just going to keep preaching. So this is what I think. I think God, he created things in such a way that he would never have to create anything ever again. I think he created, he said, let the earth bring forth. Let everything have seed in itself after its own kind. I think God created everything so that right now he created the whole world 6,000 years ago to have the perfect amount of oxygen for two people. And now there's a perfect amount of oxygen for 8 billion people. And I don't care if the world grows to 15 billion people, God created the perfect amount of oxygen. I watched a PBS show several months ago that showed one forest in Iceland. 
that has the capability of producing enough oxygen for the entire planet, one forest in Iceland, an island, has enough oxygen for the whole planet. And we're listening to people that say, we can't cut the trees, we're going to kill the earth. I'm sorry, God bless the earth, and no man has the ability to curse what God has blessed. I'm sorry, that's just, it's insanity to think we could destroy something that God is resting in. Come on. Okay. And I watched another PBS show talking about American forestry. I didn't even know this. Some of these things really shocked me. And some of the foresters said, today in America, after all of our millions of houses that have been built from all of our trees, there's twice as many trees in America today as there were when the pilgrims settled nearly 400 years ago. Because God created the world to reproduce after its kind. Just waiting on us to unearth what he had there for us all along. Come on. I watched this old Oral Roberts show one time, and he was talking. I, I used to watch all the old healing. Ev I love the old healing evangelist shows. You know, A.A. Allen and all, all, William Branham, all the old healing evangelists. And I remember Oral Roberts said one time, if we could take one white slice of bread, and if we knew how to split the atoms in one piece of bread, there's enough energy to, to power a cruise ship to go all the way across the ocean to Europe from one piece of bread. The problem is mankind has not learned yet to split atoms in things that are not atoms that are easily split. Like, like we have learned to split atoms in like uranium and stuff like that, because they're, those are, those are atoms that are already, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're already uneasy atoms. But we don't have the capability yet. I've, I hear all the time people say, we're going to run out of fossil fuel. We're going to run out of fossil fuel. Okay, so what if we do? I know people that have developed motors that can run on water and not steam power, splitting water atoms that produce energy. I'm telling you, Ben Franklin did not discover electricity. God created it 6,000 years ago, waiting for one of us to discover it. What if the news comes out tomorrow? Now, it's not going to happen. But what if the news comes out tomorrow and says, we were wrong. You need to eat beef. Boy, I'll, I'm waiting for that. I want beef three times a day. Jesus kills the fatted calf when people come home. Come on, man. He, he doesn't kill tofu. He doesn't do vegan. He lays out a spread. He uses fish and lamb and beef. Ah, I want the government to say beef is for real people. And you know, if that happens, you know what's going to happen? God's not wringing his hand saying, uh-oh, I didn't plan for a run on beef. I ought to create 5 million new cows right quick. Nope. He already created the cow so they could reproduce. I'm just telling you that God created everything so perfect that he hasn't had to create one thing for 6,000 years, and he's been resting. And he's offering us that same kind of rest in what he's done in us already. I want to go to Genesis chapter 2 and read a few verses. Genesis chapter 2. And just read the first two or three verses. I love it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says, And so the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their heavenly lights. And by the seventh day, 
God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it he rested from all of his work, which he had created and made. Now, this is interesting. Since God had finished everything he needed to do, he could rest, and then he sanctified it. And there is this law that I've learned studying the Bible with the help of some scholars. It's called the law of first occurrences. You guys have been familiar with that? And anytime something appears in the Bible the first time, it kind of lays the context for every time that word is used, okay? And I was raised in a Wesleyan holiness tradition where sanctification was a word used often. And usually it was equated to work, don't sin, discipline, uh, holiness. You don't go to movies. You don't play cards. You don't watch beer commercials. I mean, it was, it was, it was equated to works. But in the context of the first time it's used in the Bible, it's tied to rest. And what if what sanctifies us isn't what we do, but what he's already done, and we just rest in the fact that it's finished? There's another first occurrence that I want to point out in the next book of the Bible, in Exodus 3, and it's the first time the word holy is used. And that's when that burning bush is being used by God to speak to Moses, to call him to be the, you know, the great redeemer of the Old Testament. And remember what it says? Remember what the burning bush said to Moses? Take off your sandals. The place where you stand is holy ground, right? That's the first time the word holy is used in the Bible. What made that ground holy wasn't Moses. It was the presence of God being there. And so when I see that sanctified or set apart for sacred use or made holy or cleansed or made morally pure, come on, is tied to rest and holy is tied to God's presence, maybe instead of trying to be holy, I ought to just rest in the fact that his blood has made me holy. And maybe it takes all the pressure off of us because maybe his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come on. Is anybody still with me? Um, I'll, I want to read Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 4, I'm sorry. I'm in the same chapter. Hebrews 4, verse 9. I want to finish my thoughts on rest. So it says, Hebrews 4, verse 9, Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, just as God did from his. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. Sobering words, but challenging words. There's a rest available for all of us. Just as God rested from all of his work, he's saying we can rest from our work so that his work can become our work. So we no longer live, but Christ can now live his life through us. And so I want to propose to you 
that God has created nothing new in 6,000 years except one thing, the new creation. I think the only thing he's made new is you when you believed in his grace and he made you a brand new creation, just like he made the first creation. Now think about that. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and all things are new. Come on. And so what if, what if, come on, what if just like the original creation, he made everything perfect and complete in our new creation spirit that we could actually rest in the fact that we don't need to add to it, take away from it, help him. What if we just rested in the fact that we're just as he is right now because he created us in his image? Whoa! Come on, you guys. What if he really believed? What if we really believed it? What if we believe that we're brand new, one with God, he's never going to leave us, and he's going to finish everything he started? Whoa. So I'm going to point out a few verses. Can I? First verse I want to point out is from Colossians, which is a verse that says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him in bodily form. Okay? So that's in Colossians 1. Then I go a little later in the chapter to Colossians 1.27, and the same chapter says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this new creation that I am, because his grace and my faith came together, and there's a brand new creation now, okay? This new creation is where all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, because Christ is in us. Come on, is that good news? Is that good news, anybody? Okay, let me give you another, let me give you one more, well, not one more, a few more good newses. First Corinthians, First John 4, 17, remember that verse? First John 4, 17, it says, we can stand before him unashamed on the great day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this lifetime. Whoa! Come on, you guys! And so that's not Jesus before the cross. That's Jesus after the resurrection with his fiery eyes, his woolen hair, his golden sash, his burnished bronze feet, his beautiful robe, his voice that sounds like a thousand waters. Come on! That Jesus in our spirit, we're just like him. Whoa! I ought to rest more. Come on. I ought to quit striving. I ought to practice Psalms 4610 more. I ought to be still. I ought to cease striving so I can know this reality. Come on. Let me give you another verse. 1 Corinthians 617. 1 Corinthians 617. Anyone who has joined himself to Christ is one spirit with him. Do you guys believe that? Do we believe the word? I believe the Bible. I believe every word of it. Don't you guys? Come on, every single word of it. And so what is that? 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Look at my spirit responds to God's grace and his spirit and my spirit. Look at me. My spirit and his spirit 
become one spirit where you can't tell where I end and he begins. And this is the answer to Jesus's prayer in John 17. It wasn't just so that the sons of Abraham, you know, Ishmael and Isaac could come together and the family of, you know, Abraham could come back. That's a big part of it. But it happens every time a believer becomes one with God in the spirit. He prayed, make them one with us just as we are one, Father. And the new creation, the new creation that's perfect, complete, nothing's left out of it. The new creation is the same as the original creation, according to the writer of Hebrews. That's why he wants us to rest in it. God rested from his first creation, and Jesus said in John 19, 30, it's finished all over again, so you can rest in the new creation that I've made you, right? And part of that is this 1 Corinthians 6, 17 reality. My spirit and the spirit of Christ become one spirit. That's a new creation. Christ is lacking nothing. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him in bodily form, and him and me are one now. I ought to rest more. What do you guys think? How about, how about the 2 Timothy 1.3? Oh, there's Rosemary. Bless you, Rosemary. The 2 Timothy 1.3, how about this? Excuse me, excuse me, 2 Peter 1.3. He's given us everything we'll ever need for life and godliness. You know what that means? Everything you'll ever need your entire life, your, your 80, 90, 100, 110 years. My mom is 91. She always tells me, I'm going to live to 110, honey. And I go, why, mama? Too many people still need my love and prayers. That's the only reason my mom wants to live. Too many people need her love and prayers. And so here's, here's, the, here's the point I'm making. I don't care how long mom lives. In her spirit, she has everything she'll ever need already for her entire life, just like every one of us. He's given us everything we'll ever need for life and godliness. Godliness is eternal life. We've got everything we need in our new creation spirit right now for the trillions of years we're going to live in the next life. It's already in the new creation. Maybe I ought to rest more. Come on, man. I was trying to get God to do something, and he's already done everything for life and godliness. Oh, how easily we are seduced into working to try to get God to do something instead of resting in the fact that he's already done everything. I'm preaching way better than I think people are listening. I'm going to keep going. How about this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.16? That's the verse that simply just says, we have the mind of Christ. Did you know in your spirit, you have the mind of Christ? That's surely not referring to this mind. This mind here has issues. This soulish carnal mind that I was born with, I, got, I need to work on that every single day, all day long with the Word of God. The Word of God keeps renewing my carnal mind, keeps renewing my soulish natural mind. But my spirit, whoa, mind of Christ. Like, Maybe I ought to rest in the fact that I do know his thoughts because his thoughts come from his mind and I have his mind and his thoughts aren't higher than the heavens are above the earth in me because he actually lives in me. I'm the house of God. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on, you guys. I'm, I'm the upper room throne room. I'm a satellite upper room, throne room. Come on. That's why I bow my head when I pray, because I'm looking at God. He doesn't live anywhere but in us. We are his temple. Come on. Maybe we ought to rest more. And how about 1 John 
since you're a brand new creation that God lives inside of, it says you have an anointing. You know all things. Isn't that good to know going into these last days? Who's glad that we have an anointing that knows all things living inside of us? That he'll tell us things to come. He'll tell us what to do. He'll tell us which way to turn. Come on, you guys. We don't have to wring our hands wondering if God's going to come through. He already did it. He put himself in you. He's not freaked out by the times, man. Let the nations rage. He's laughing. He gets the final say. You get it? Come on. Maybe we ought to rest more. And I'm having a hard time resting, preaching this, but let me give you a couple more verses. Ephesians 1, 18 to 21, it's that narrative where Paul's trying to get us to believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. There's no greater power than that. That power is greater than the power of, the res of, the power of creation. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of your spirit. Maybe you ought to rest in that. Ephesians 3.20 backs that up. That's that verse that says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine according to the power that's already working in us. In our new creation, everything we need is already in there, waiting on us to tap into it. Come on. And so 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes you were healed. Philippians 4.19 says, all your needs are already supplied. 2 Peter 1.2 says, you have the same exact faith as the apostles. Galatians 2.20 says, you have the exact same faith as Jesus Christ. Come on, I could go on and on. There's 8,040 promises waiting for you to rest enough to believe them as they become your reality. Amen? And, and so, in my spirit, in my new creation spirit, I'm identical to Jesus in my spirit. My mind, my soul, my body need help, but my spirit's perfect. There's nothing left that needs to be done. And so, the rest of my spiritual life is learning to rest and receive all that Christ has already done in my spirit. That's the rest of my spiritual life. We must believe and not doubt. We're not heading towards victory. We're heading from victory. Jesus said it's finished. He didn't say I'm going to finish. He said it's finished. And so... I don't fight to get healed. I fight to rest in the fact that my healing's already finished. Somebody, you need, to, you need to grasp this, you guys. You know, tomorrow I'll go to the prayer room at the International House of Prayer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on the leadership team, and I'll get in the back of the prayer room. It seats about 700 people. And if I, if I stood in the back of the prayer room and looked up on the stage where they've been singing nonstop for 24 years now, I said, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to walk up there and get on that stage. There would be 700 opportunities of people to get in my way. And that's people's mindsets to say, I'm going to get my healing. There's too many opportunities to get in your way if you're going to get something that you already have. To live at rest means 
I'm seated in heavenly places already. I'm far above everything that I think is my problem. I just don't rest enough to believe it yet. That's why I need to cease striving so I can know the Lord in a more intimate way. I think the greatest labor and work that any of us face is the labor and the fight to rest. That's the, that's the labor. The labor that we face is not to get God to do something. It's to get us to the place where we can receive what God's already done. And so I, I, need, I need to find the answers that stop me from being at rest. And so far in my 62 years of living, the only place I find answers that answer my questions is the Word of God. Anywhere else I go, it creates more unrest. But when I go to the Word of God, He answers my questions and it makes me rest. I'll give you one example. It's that story, and I'm almost done. I'll be done here in a couple minutes, Jim, because I said we said 45 minutes. I, I remember. I, I, I remember when that leper came running to Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and he knelt down and he worshiped him, and he says, Oh, Lord, I know if you're willing, you can cleanse me, right? And that's a picture of most Christianity, because we've been delivered from Egypt, but we're not walking in the promised land, because we're not resting enough yet. We all believe God can do a miracle. Very few people believe he wants to do it right now for you. Everybody believes he can. Even atheists believe in higher powers. But very few Christians believe God wants to do it for you right now. And so Jesus knows that. And Jesus' response, he's moved with love and compassion. Aren't you glad that Jesus' response to a person full of faith and doubt at the same time is love and compassion? Aren't you glad that's our Jesus? Who's glad that's our Jesus? I like that Jesus. And it says he reached out and he touched his hand, but then he answered the question. Aren't you glad Jesus answers our questions? He said, I am willing. <laughs> Be cleansed. And immediately the man was healed because Jesus answered his question, right? I think it's always okay to ask Jesus our, our questions because our questions stop our rest. Why didn't they get healed? Why did that person die? Why are they still sick? Come on, why is that family still struggling? Why is my ministry struggling? Why are the finances tight? When all we have is questions, but we don't go to Jesus for the answer, questions lead to more questions, which lead to more unrest. But Jesus is always the answer. So it's not ever okay to question him like Zechariah did in Luke 1. He may shut you up for nine months. But it's always okay to question him like Mary did. How is this possible since I'm a virgin? If you really want him to give you the answer. Because when Jesus answers your questions, you can have faith that rests. And then you can have faith that believes. And all things are possible to the one who believes? Aren't you glad we don't need a hundred million people to stand with us for all things to be possible? Aren't you glad you don't need a hundred people to like something or 
10,000 people to agree with you. Aren't you glad Jesus said if one person can believe? And I believe faith that rests is faith that believes. In the last year, I haven't been on this show for over a year because I haven't felt like I was supposed to call Jim. It's kind of funny. Every time I call him, he puts me on. But I only go where the Holy Spirit tells me to go. And he told me to do some strange things in the last couple of years. And the more I've rested, the more he's opened doors. The more I've rested, the more he's opened opportunities. And I feel like if I rest too much more, I won't be able to keep up with the rest. And there's people that are watching this that are weary. You've been, you've been striving for a miracle. You've been laboring for a breakthrough. I get dozens of testimonies a day of healings a day. Like I've had over 86,000 testimonies of healing given to me personally. And they don't come when people are striving. They come when people finally rest in the fact that it's already done. If you'll just rest enough to believe it. So his yoke is easy. It's not hype. It's not smoke. It's not loud music. It's not, come on. It's not, you needed to sing three more songs and you could have cast it out. No, it's because you didn't believe. And so we need to rest in the finished work of Christ and let his work powerfully work through us or we don't impede his progress. So I want to say a prayer for people that watch this live and tape later. Papa God, I thank you that there's a rest for all of us that we can enter into. That we can cease from our labor just like you did from yours when you created the universe. And you didn't have to create anything new until you wanted to create new creations so you could live your life through us. So just like you rest, God, we can rest in the reality that we're one with you. You're never going to leave us. You're going to finish everything you started. And every word you say about us is true. So, Lord, I pray that you would stop people's ears up to every voice that doesn't come from your word. When they hear your word, faith and rest comes and belief. And when they hear every other word, fear and anxiety comes. So, Lord, I pray you'd stop their ears from listening to other words so they could hear your word again. I pray an impartation that people would have a hunger for your word like they've never had before with faith so that it could come alive in them and become flesh in them and manifest your life in and through them so their lives would be miracles after miracles after miracles. I pray that people would have a hunger to fall in love with you, God. Second Peter 1, 3 into 4, all of your written word leads us to you, the living word. <laughs> Lord, when we find you, we find life. And so, Jesus, give everyone a hunger for your word, that they fall in love with the truth that sets them free. So I bless people with rest in the finished work of Christ and with a hunger for your word like they've never known before. I pray that people in their 70s and 80s would say, I need to know the word again. Let us fall in love with the word because it's where the spirit comes from. You want to be spirit-filled? You need to be buried in the word. And so, Father, thank you. We love you. Now I just pray healing over everyone that's watching this, Lord.
there'll be so many people healed. I just know it. I already know it. You already told me today. So every disease and every sickness known to man, I command you to leave everybody now. All cancer leave. All diabetes leave. All heart conditions leave. All respiratory conditions. All people's digestive problems, tumors, cysts, hemorrhoids, bone issues, pain, nerve problems, blind eyes, deaf ears, headaches, everything that's contrary to your word. I command it to leave these bodies now, and these bodies would be resting in the fact that when you send your word, you heal us. When you send your word, you heal us. So I thank you, God, for the World Prayer Network. I I honor Jim and Rosemary and Judy and that pastor that he says out of town from Florida. I can't remember. I, I honor these people for doing this week after week because they believe that good will overcome evil. So, Lord, I bless the World Prayer Network, and I bless the Holy Spirit for what he's doing right now in the lives of everyone. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.